Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I always like waking up in the morning when it's bright and sunny. And this morning wasn't it, but uh, but it's a we can praise the Lord and be glad to be in the Lord's house this morning and just praise Him for that. That we live in a country where we are are free to worship. Uh, we I don't believe we have uh, any announcements in particular uh, in the bulletin. We will be having our uh, our summer picnic coming up uh, later on this summer. Uh, a number of different things like that. Um, any any announcements uh, that uh, that need to be made this morning that are not in the bulletin? All right. Well then, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house today, that we can worship without fear. We pray that you'd help us to. Uh, we pray that you give us a desire to live for you, to be more like your Son Jesus that you'd help us to do the things that are pleasing to you in, in a world that, that right is wrong and wrong is right. Uh, and the pressures to conform are around us everywhere. We pray that you'd help us to live for you and that you would help us to be a, each one of us, that we would be a beacon of light in a dark world. We pray that you'd watch over our service this morning. We pray that you'd help us to quiet our hearts and that you'd help us to listen to your word today. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning and that everything that we say and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Our call to worship this morning, if you'd like to uh, stand, our call to worship will be found on the back of your bulletin, and then we will go right into uh, singing from the Green Book. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Amen. May the... And now if you turn with me to number 47 in your green book. Joyful cry, King. 
be seated. And may the, uh, would the men now come forward for the morning offering, please. Our scripture reading will be found in Psalm 55, I mean, not Psalm, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah 55, thank you, Isaiah 55, we will read the whole chapter. If you'd like to follow along with me, Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for, for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I will make him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my ways are not your thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. 
today. Amen. Now let's stand and sing number 488, and we will sing... Let's sing verses 1, 3, and 4 of Just As I Am, 1, 2, and 4. Nothing but the blood. We'll sing all four verses. Three thirty seven. Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, I see nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing is this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as But the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of this is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No. Thank you.
Good morning, church. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. In the words of 1 Peter 1, Blessed are you, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you and worship you because according to your great mercy, you have caused us who believe to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us who by your power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all of this, in our great salvation that you have given to us, we rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved by various trials. And we know that all this is so that the tested genuineness of our faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this weary and sin-sick world, though we have not seen you, Jesus, with our eyes, we love you. Though we do not now see you, we believe in you. And in our hearts, we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, Amen. obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Father, you've given us so much in Jesus, such durable hope in the face of such difficulty. As we come to you this morning, as we look to you in your glory, as we praise you for who you are, we're made aware of our sin and of our need. Lord, we, we groan and grieve in this world under the brokenness of this world, but also under the bentness of our hearts. We confess that even this week we've erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep, that we followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone things which we ought to have done, then we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And we know, Lord, that apart from your grace, there is no health in us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would have mercy on us, that you would spare all those who confess their faults, that you would restore all those who are repentant according to your promises declared unto all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we ask, merciful Father, that you would grant to us now to live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your name. Let's take a moment now to silently confess our sins to God. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Surely Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a hope, Father. What joy we have, Lord Jesus, to know that when we come to you and confess our sins, if we belong to Jesus, we know that our sin has been removed far from us. Christ, that you have carried it in your death on the cross, and we bear it no more. And so as we continue to come before you this morning, Father, we come not bearing the guilt of our sins anymore. Christ has taken our shame from us, but we come bearing the very righteousness of Christ. And so we come boldly to your throne, Father, not as strangers and aliens, not as sinners, but as saints 
but as, as those set apart by you, by your Holy Spirit, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so we come boldly to you this morning, Father. We ask, Lord, as we continue through the service this morning, that you'd be at work. We need you, Father. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through our hearts, to convict us of sin, to encourage us in our discouragement, to comfort us in our grief, to lift us up where we've fallen, and to strengthen us to stand and to fight. And so we pray, Father, that you would be at work among us this morning, that you'd give us hearts to love and fear you, that you'd bring us into the way of truth, that you give us grace to hear your word with humility and to receive it with love. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us true repentance in our hearts, that you'd forgive us our sin, that you'd give us the grace of your Holy Spirit to amend our lives. Lamb of God, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us this morning. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you would uh, all stand. And we'll sing number 130 in the green book. Number 130, Lord from the depths. And we will sing the third verse, uh, a cappella. We'll sing all three verses and then the third verse, a cappella. Stand and sing. Lord from the depths to thee I cried, my Lord give And hearken to my supplicating plea. Lord, who shall stand if thou, my Lord, should mark iniquity? But yet with thee forgiveness is that man may honor thee. I wait. My soul waits for the Lord, my hope is in His word. More than the watchmen wait for morn, my soul waits for the Lord. I wait, my soul waits for the Lord, my hope is in His word. More than the watchmen wait for morn, my soul waits for the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you. You can open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John and chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. Uh, we're continuing a series this morning, working through our church's proposed statement of faith. And this week we're looking at a section entitled, Of the Freeness of Salvation. Of the Freeness of Salvation. You can actually follow along with it. On the, the bulletin insert on the back, it's got a section there entitled Of the Freeness of Salvation. Basically, the last few weeks, we've gone over the, the basics of the gospel. We've taken a deep dive, first of all, into the depth of our sin. 
and then we've climbed the glorious heights of the saving work of Christ. So first, we've explored the depths of our sin before a holy God. We've grieved together at how far we've fallen from holiness. And then, as soon as we've come to understand that, we've looked to Jesus. And we've been astounded together at the Father's tremendous love in sending us his son Jesus as a compassionate and all-sufficient savior. We've marveled together to watch Jesus die that we might live. We've rejoiced to watch him raised from the dead that we might rise with him eternally. And last week we explored the idea of justification. We rejoice together at the fact that Jesus' work can actually make us sinners righteous, truly righteous before a holy God. That we who are his actually own, we possess his very righteousness. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been following along with us in this series and you've been following along to some degree. You buy it. You believe that Christ came to save. Yes, I'll buy that. Some people at least. But maybe, just maybe, you're here this morning and you worry that his salvation is real but it really isn't for you. That yes, Jesus came to die and rise to save sinners, but maybe not for you. You know the party's happening. You've seen the invitations, but you haven't yet seen an invitation with your name on it. And you worry that there might not be one, that you're not on the invite list. You might even be a follower of Christ and struggle with these kinds of doubts. Yes, Jesus saves, but is it really for me? Does he really want me at his table? This morning, I want to throw those doubts out the window. This morning, we're going to explore the wideness of Jesus' summons to come to him and be saved. Over and over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the prophets and then Christ and his apostles hammer home that God's saving power through Jesus is available for anyone who would come to him. Anyone, even the greatest possible sinner, can be saved if they but come. We're going to see this morning that Jesus' invitation to come and be saved is wide and it is warm. Come unto me. And by the time we've worked through this section of the confession, I want us to understand well that not only are all people welcome to come to Jesus, all people are commanded to come to him. The call to Christ is, in this sense, universal. Everyone in all creation is welcomed and indeed commanded to come to Christ for salvation. And that the only thing which keeps us from this salvation, the only thing which could possibly keep us from eternal joy with the, in fellowship with the eternal God is our own refusal to come. The only thing which stands between any sinner, even the worst of us, and eternal joy is simply this question. When Jesus calls you, will you come? To set the stage this morning, I want us to read in John chapter 3. And beginning in verse 16, these, these will probably be familiar verses to you, but they're powerful. John 3 and beginning in verse 16. Don't don't hear this verse like you've heard it a million times. Hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. Think about what these words actually mean. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts so that as we hear the invitation of Christ to come and eat, to come and be filled, to come and be saved, that we would hear it with believing hearts and that we would come and be saved. Lord, whether this is our first time hearing the invitation or whether this is our 5,000th, so fill and overwhelm our hearts with your Holy Spirit and with love for you and with wonder at the goodness of the gospel that that we would hear and that we would believe. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Who is able to be saved through Jesus? everyone. That's what I want to see to see first. All people are welcomed to come. All people are welcomed to come. That's the first line of the, this section of the confession. We believe that the blessings of salvation, meaning everything that is in Christ, forgiveness of sins, justification in his name, eternal life, the promise of resurrection, the blessings of salvation are made free to who? to all who would come by the gospel. And this is clear, first of all, in John 3.16, which we just read, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So who cannot perish and have eternal life? Whoever believes in him, anyone who would come. That's the passage most often quoted to make this point, but you don't have to go far in the Gospels to find other places where again and again and again Jesus makes the wideness of this invitation very clear. John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or in John 7, in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus' offer of salvation, of life, of true food, of cool water, is offered to anyone, to everyone. The table of Christ is open to any soul hungry enough to come. The fountain of Christ is open to any soul parched enough to drink. Jesus never ceases to hold out to us the way of life, eternal life offered to dead and dying sinners. Listen to Jesus in John 11 and verse 25. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Jesus is able and willing to save out of sin and death and out of hell anyone who would come. Everyone who would come. I love the words of Isaiah 55, which Kevin read earlier. I think Jesus probably had this this passage in mind when he was talking about come to me and drink. Isaiah 55 and verse 1, 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. And then in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Friends, in the very clear words of Scripture, God is calling. Christ is calling. Calling all who would come to the feast of eternal life in Jesus. There's no one too sinful. There's no one too shameful. There's no one too unfaithful. There's not a single soul in all creation not a single soul in this room this morning unto whom the door of salvation is not open if you would come. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's God's door and he's opened it. It's Christ's table and he has set it. And in the words of the confession, the blessings of salvation are made free to all who would come all who would come. Do you believe this? Amen. Amen. I want us to see this morning not only that all people who are welcomed, not only that all people are welcomed to come by the gospel, but also that all are commanded to come by the gospel. The confession continues and says this, we believe that it is the immediate duty of all to accept these gospel blessings by a sincere, repentant, and obedient faith. Sometimes when preachers begin to lay out the wide invitation of the gospel, Jesus can come across sounding kind of lame. I'll tell you what I mean. Like, the, like he's the friend desperately trying to get someone to come to his party as if we should respond to Christ's invitation because we feel bad for him, right? Like, he's been planning this party for so long and he'd really like to hang out and he just, he's just going to be really bummed if you don't invite him into, into your heart, right? I want us to see this morning that Christ's invitation is wide, but it's not lame. It's not limp-wristed. It's not the invitation of your needy friend. It's a gracious summons to receive pardon from your Lord and King. It is an invitation, but it is an invitation we have a duty to respond to. That's why the confession says that it's our immediate duty to accept these gospel blessings by a sincere, repentant, and obedient faith. To illustrate this, I want you to hear the words of Mark chapter 1. We looked at these words a couple of years ago when we were in the Gospel of Mark. This is Jesus' first proclamation of the Gospel as recorded by Mark in his Gospel. Mark 1 and verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I want us to notice here that repent and believe are not mildly worded requests. They are commands. This is an imperative in the original language. Christ's invitation to come, in him, come to him and be saved is the authoritative invitation of the king of kings. Notice how Jesus starts his sentence there. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What's that mean? Well, for long years, the prophets had, had foretold that the day would come when God would make his perfect and righteous reign as king known on earth. That one day, God, the king of kings, would show up and usher in his eternal kingdom. And here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom is here because Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the king. 
his presence is the kingdom. And with all the magisterial authority of the king of kings, Jesus issues this divine summons. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's why it's our immediate duty to accept these gospel blessings by a sincere, repentant, and obedient faith. Because to us, a stiff-necked and rebellious people, God has come and graciously offered us a way of salvation. Having offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, having broken death by his resurrection, Jesus comes to us in regal authority and with the kindness of the kindest father and the gravity of the greatest king, he commands us to come. Repent, turn from your sin and rebellion and come to me, trust in me. This is Jesus' call, right? Repent and believe. Die to sin in my death and rise to life in my resurrection. Repent and believe the gospel. So you see, the, the offer of the gospel is very wide, free to all who would come. But it's issued with the gravity of a command. It's urgent. It's a command from the king. It's our immediate duty to accept these gospel blessings by a sincere, repentant, and obedient faith. Do you believe this? Amen. Amen. If you believe it, have you answered the call? Having heard the invitation of Jesus, have you come to the table? If you haven't, I want you to know this very clearly. There is nothing, nothing at all, that stands between you and salvation, between you and eternal life, other than your own unwillingness to come. Look at this last sentence in this section. This section of the confession it says this we believe that nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth but his own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel that statement is both in deeply encouraging and sobering it's deeply encouraging because nothing, yes, nothing, prevents the salvation even of the greatest sinner on earth. And some days we convince ourselves that we're that one. So on, on that day, be assured, nothing, nothing, except his own unwillingness to come. All sinners, all sin can be cleansed by Christ. No one is too far gone. He will turn no one away. John 6, verse 37. This is the promise of Christ. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never means never. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one is too far gone except the one who will not come. The only ones who can't be saved are the ones who won't. The confession offers us an explanation as to why some don't come. All who reject the gospel, who refuse to be drawn in by Christ, do so because of, quote, their own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel. Depravity is another word for sin. People reject the gospel and I believe Jesus teaches this. We're going to see this. People reject the gospel because they do not want their sin exposed and they do not want to leave their sin behind. People reject Jesus because they love sin more than Jesus. John 3 and verse 19. This is a few verses after the verses we read earlier. John 3, 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He's speaking of himself. Jesus understands himself as the light of the world. The gospel is this light. He is the light. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. 
because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And we probably can recognize ourselves in this statement, right? From before we came to Christ, or even after we've come to Christ, when the Lord calls us to repentance. Jesus' explanation why many don't come, why many don't respond to the gospel, is quite simple. They're not ready to let go of their sin. They love the thing which is slowly killing them. They love the darkness rather than the light. When the light of God came into the darkness of this world, we loved the darkness rather than the light. When God came to us and invited us into the warmth of his fellowship to eat at his table, to eat of his salvation, to enjoy eternal life in his presence, the world said, no. We'll take the darkness. Jesus depicts the situation this way in Luke 14 in a parable. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus paints us this picture. He said, he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I, I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus paints us this picture of God's invitation to the world. That Christ has set the table. He's laid the banquet. He's piled high a feast for us, the likes of which the world has never seen. Piled with life, eternal life, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Life in abundance for all who would eat of it, all who would come to drink. And the invitation to the feast, the divine summons to salvation, has gone throughout the world, and many have heard it. And many have refused to come. Many who are hungry would rather starve in the cold of sin than to enter the warmth and light of the feasting place. Because they have no desire to leave the darkness of sin behind. C.S. Lewis puts it in a very pointed way in The Great Divorce. He says this through the words of a character. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Let me read that again. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Lewis finishes with this statement, all that are in hell choose it. Lewis goes on to depict hell in the great divorce as actually just the continuation of the alienation from God that those in rebellion against him experience in the world. For as Jesus said it, I tell you, none of those men who were invited and who refused shall taste my banquet. Those who are not saved are not condemned for lack of an invitation.
We believe that nothing prevents the salvation even of the greatest sinner on earth but his own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel. That statement is both deeply encouraging and deeply sobering. So, what do we do with all this? If this is the case, if this is what scripture teaches us, what, how then should we live? What now? Well, first, I'd want to encourage you that if you're here this morning, and if you're not a Christian, if you have not yet come in the door to sit down at the feast, your calling is to come. The resurrected King Jesus has issued his wide and generous summons. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. So, come. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Run to Jesus. Lay everything out for him. Bring your sin into the light. Confess it all. Admit your rebellion against him. Admit how you've abandoned the true God to worship idols of your own making. And cry out to be saved. Cry out to Jesus to forgive your sin and to make you righteous. Ask to die to sin in Jesus' death and to rise to life in Jesus' resurrection. And when you do this in true faith, he will hear, he will answer, he will forgive, and he will make you new. Come into the feast. If you're already a Christian, this is all relevant to you too. The Christian life begins with a call to come to Jesus. But that's not the last time you're going to hear a call to come to Jesus. The Christian life begins with a call to come to Jesus, and it continues with call after call after call to come to Jesus again and again and again. Every day, every morning, every evening, Every Lord's Day, in every moment, Jesus opens wide the welcome of the gospel, calling us to come to him again and again. We need this because our lives are filled with temptations, with any number of shiny objects which lure us away from Christ, away from the feast, back out the door into the darkness. And so again and again and again, we need to hear the gracious call of God calling us back to himself to cleanse us and feed us and make us whole. Martin Luther said it well when he said that the whole of the Christian life is repentance. Again and again, going back to God, following the call of Christ. Holiness in this life as Christians is not uninterrupted godliness. The holiest saints, the most Christ-like Christians you will meet, are not the ones who repent the least. They're the ones who repent the most. The ones who in every moment recognize their need to turn from sin and run back to God. The godliest saints are the ones who constantly are running back through the door, back to the table. And for those who resolve to make this kind of repentance a moment-by-moment practice, we can know, and we need to know this, with warm assurance that every time we come to the table of grace, the place is set with our name tag on it, and our chair is pulled up to the table. Every time we come, the arms of the Father are open to give us a bear hug and sit us down. Every time. That's why we need the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in a few minutes. It's a reminder of all of this. It's Jesus' altar call. 
We eat the bread and we drink the cup as reminders of the kindness of Christ. Reminders again and again, (coughs) pardon me, that he is actually inviting us to his table to be cleansed and fed and filled. The whole of the Christian life is shaped by this table, by this invitation, remembered and reenacted every time we come to the table, hearing the words of Christ, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Right? Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Until Jesus makes all things new, we need to be called again and again and again away from our idols, out of the darkness, into the light, into the feast, sat up to the table to remember that only in Jesus do we find food that can actually satisfy the hungry soul. Again, this This is Jesus' altar call. At this table, Jesus welcomes us again and again into his eternal life. Here we remember and we see and we even taste, month after month, the wideness and the urgency of Jesus' gospel welcome. So, if we have come to know this wide and urgent invitation for ourselves, I want us to see this as we close. That if we've heard and followed this invitation for ourselves, we should be both lavish and bold in inviting others to come to the table too. First of all, we should be lavish, meaning invite anyone who will listen. We should be lavish because we understand the invitation is for everyone. I've said it before this morning, I'll say it again. No one is ineligible. No one is off limits. Jesus got in trouble for this, right? In his ministry, you read the Gospels. The Pharisees keep getting him in trouble for hanging out at bars and pubs with traitors and prostitutes, with 'er ne'er-do-wells and hopeless cases, right? He popped a lot of church people's bubbles because his invitation wasn't just to the people you think might look right sitting in a church pew. His invitation was to anyone and everyone who would come. So let's follow Jesus in being lavish in our invitation. Let's invite everyone we meet to meet Jesus. Let's ask everyone we run into if they know that there's a party at Jesus' house and there's a seat there open for them. Let's ask everyone. Let's ask even the people we know will say no. I think we know. Most of us said no once too. So let's be lavish in our invitation to come to Jesus and let's also be bold. Let's be bold. We don't have to share the gospel like desperate people trying to fill up a lame party. We share the gospel as authorized ambassadors of the King of Kings. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We do not offer invitations on behalf of a weak and impotent Savior. We invite the lost to the feast of the King. We invite those in darkness to be clothed in the robes of the Lord of Light. We speak on behalf of the Alpha and the Omega, the Great I Am, the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns at the right hand of the Father. It is He who has sent us and authorized us by His own words. Listen to them from Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's be bold. We don't have to be sheepish just because we think people might say no. We don't have to be sheepish just because we think people might be offended by Jesus' talk about sin and repentance or his talk about heaven and hell or his talk about sexual ethics. We should do our best to present the gospel winsomely, but it must be presented clearly. And may the Lord grant to us that as we share it, we would do it without apology. The king has spoken. Heaven and hell are in the balance. The feast is set and life is there for those who would come. How can we who have tasted of this feast let those in darkness remain in darkness without at least hearing an invitation into the light? One more note along these lines. How long did it take? How long was it from the first time you heard the gospel till the time you actually answered the call? How persistent was God in calling you to himself? How persistent were your friends and your family in pointing you to Jesus? I know that, that many in this congregation have shared the gospel with their friends and family again and again and again with no fruit. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, do not grow weary in well-doing. Jesus' own brothers did not believe him at first. The Apostle Paul's first reaction to hearing the gospel was to stone to death the people who were preaching it. Don't give up. Be strong and courageous. Jesus is the Lord and he is with you. The gospel is true and it is powerful unto salvation and the spirit is at work. Take heart. Go knowing that he is sending you. May God make us bold and may, may he make us prayerful. I know that many of us in this room pray desperately and consistently for the lost among our friends and family. And for those of you prayer warriors, I want to encourage you too. Let's keep praying. And when people say no, let's keep inviting. Let's keep praying. Our depravity is deep. Our alienation from God is serious. And if people are to be saved, it will have to be a work of God himself. So even as we boldly invite our friends and neighbors to the Feast of the King, let's pray boldly to the King, to the Lord of the harvest, to soften their hearts to come. Jesus' invitation is warm, it is wide, and it is urgent. So let's go to him. Let's answer the call. Let's keep going to him again and again and again. And in his power and his strength, let's bring along with us anyone who will come. Amen? We believe that the blessings of salvation are made free to all who would come by the gospel. We believe that it is the immediate duty of all to accept these gospel blessings by a sincere, repentant, and obedient faith. We believe that nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth but his own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel. Do we believe this? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what, what a gracious thing you have given to us in the gospel. What a gracious invitation you have given us by setting this table. What a wonderful thing you have done for us, Lord Jesus, by offering your own life as an atonement for our sins, dying that we might live, rising that we might rise eternally. This morning, as you invite us, as you say, come, we say, okay, 
we're on board. We want a seat at the table. We want to eat of the bread that is truly bread, to drink of the drink that is truly drink. We want eternal life. We're tired of cheap substitutes. We're tired of idols in the darkness. We're ready for the real thing. We want you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you'd wash over our hearts in power by the Holy Spirit, that you'd be drawing us to you, And we ask, Lord, that you'd give us boldness. We ask, Lord, that you'd set before us even daily a vision of Christ seated and reigning. We ask that you would give us boldness in a culture which is increasingly hostile to the gospel to share with with the same warmth and urgency that you have shared with us the gospel of salvation and of peace. And we ask, Lord, that in the coming months and years that there would be a fruitful harvest among us. That many who were not seated at the feast would come in and eat and be filled and be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. <laughs>